Welcome to Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. This morning I hope to wrap up this teaching series that we've been on called Sowing the Kingdom. We'll see how far we get. Um, Should be able to do it, so let's see how we go. We're talking about sowing the kingdom, and we're talking about kingdom responsibilities. Let me give you some, uh, a brief recap on some points we've been talking about. When we talk about sowing the kingdom, we need to have an understanding of what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not just this body we belong to. It's not just this thing we're associated to because we call Jesus Christ our Lord. The kingdom is the expression of the king. And our king is... Love. So if God is love, wherever His love is expressed, there His kingdom is present. But our God is not just love. He is love in motion. He is love practically given. He is love with power. And so the expression of the kingdom of God may look like a lot of different things in a lot of different scenarios. Amen? But it is all motivated by the love of the King from whom it, from, from whom it all begins. The kingdom of God is all about God-inspired, God-empowered change beginning in the heart. When Jesus came, He preached this gospel of the kingdom. It was a new message. But as we look through it, we see this gospel, the thread running right through the whole of Scripture from the very beginning to to the end, where God was Lord over man and man was Lord over the world, and therefore God had dominion. Man, through his disobedience gave up his right and his authority over the earth to another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says that the evil one is the ruler. He's the Lord of this world. In other words, who's running the show? It's not a trick question, guys. You you don't have to look very far to see the evidence, to see the fruit of what's going on in our world today. But then Jesus came and he said, I'm bringing the kingdom back. I am bringing the authority of God back. And he came, and because he was not of man, he was of the seed of God, he was not subject to sin the same way that you and I are. And he lived a life with a perfect nature, free from sin, though not free from temptation. So in other words, he overcame temptation, and he in turn died and paid the price for that sin, so that In the courtrooms of heaven, when he brought his blood, and God said, there can only be forgiveness through the shedding of blood, Jesus said, here is my blood, the atonement for the sin of mankind. And God said, that is acceptable. He made a a, a legal decision in the high court of heaven, you could say. The high judge declared the sacrifice was sufficient. Therefore, the price had been paid for sin. Jesus then Through faith in Jesus Christ, you and I can take on His position of authority and once again God can have rulership and influence in the world again. The power of God, the love of God, the kingdom of God can find its expression in the world through the saints. Where the kingdom comes to live in our hearts when we receive the kingdom, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, it transforms us. And as we are transformed, we begin to transform the world around us. That's the gospel message. That's the kingdom message, folks. So the kingdom is about God-inspired. In other words, it begins with God. God God-empowered. In other words, it's not something we can do by ourselves. Change that begins in the heart. 
God does something in you and me which changes us, and therefore we begin to change the world around us. One person at a time, so it grows. You know, the, the, we say a lot about big um, uh, evangelistic crusades, and praise God for them. You know, there's some crusades up in Africa where a million or more people can get saved in one crusade, and that's wonderful. But what blows my mind is that creation has never grown to the point where it can be saved completely in one generation through one-on-one discipleship. Here's the stats. If I was to share Jesus with Michael, and he's my convert, well, it's God's convert, but you understand, I led him to the Lord, and he's the one person I did for, for this whole year. And then next year, Michael and I each win another one to the Lord. That's four. And then the following year, that's eight. And the following year, that's 16. Well, in the beginning, it's kind of slow going. But as, as it multiplies, within 40 years, every single person on the earth can be reached if we all discipled one person a year. Is that too much, do you reckon? Do you reckon that's too much stress? But it's true. If each of us discipled one person a year to Christ, led them to the Lord and discipled them for a year, and in turn, each one of those did the same every year within 40 years, every soul in the population of the earth can be saved. Sobering, isn't it? Where do we start? With the millions? No. With the one. And so we talk about this kingdom of God finding its expression, first of all in our hearts, where God does something in us and then through us changes the world. And very often, even as believers... We focus so much on the doing and on the changing, and we see the negative and we want to do things about us, about it. But if a change doesn't begin from within, if there's not something within us motivating us to change or to make a change, then change inevitably is forced upon us, whether for better or for worse. And this is the real dilemma that, or, or where the real battle rages in the kingdom. It's that, 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 devotion to the king and his kingdom, but yet living in a world that is filled with so many distractions, that is so busy, that has so many demands on our minds and on our time. And it's hard to stay focused on just the king. Wouldn't you agree? In reality, it is. Life is busy. But Jesus speaks, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. I'm just recapping a little bit here. I'm not going to read the whole portion of Scripture. But he says, Do not worry about the things that the world worries about. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to live, what car you're going to drive, what job, etc., etc. But here is how the kingdom will come. You've got to seek first, Matthew 6, 33, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, bring all of your life under that right standing of God, uh, into right standing with God, all your thoughts, all your motives, all your intentions, and all of these things that the world seeks after or pursues will be added to you. It's a wonderful thing when stuff starts being added to you. We love to brag on ourselves where we've earned something. And who gets the glory for that? We do. I'm a self-made man. But when we pursue God and He makes us, wow, He gets all the glory and He's going to make a better man than you or I ever could. Amen? Matthew 6 verse 32 says, After all of these things that I've just mentioned to you, the Gentiles seek. In other words, that is their pursuit in life. But it ought not to be so with you and I 
as saints, as believers, as citizens of the kingdom. Because the things of this world should not be our pursuit. But yet so often, they take that place. They become the thing we pursue. Whereas what sets you, what should set you and I apart from the world, make us different from the world, make us a peculiar people, is the fact that we're not pursuing these things. We're pursuing God. And on the way, He's adding them to us. So it's not about the sweating. It's about the pursuit. One of the greatest indictments in the church today is that we look just like the world. We think like them. We behave like them. We invest like them. We pursue like they do. Whereas God is saying, don't be like them. Pursue me. Pursue the kingdom. Pursue that change that I want to do in you. And in so doing, you will, you will see and realize the change that I want to bring in your environment, into your sphere of influence. Amen? That is our pursuit. Now, seek ye first the kingdom of God means that I have a responsibility to prioritize some things. Wouldn't you agree? So if, if this is my current pursuit, how do I stop pursuing it? Or how do I redirect my attention and my motivation and my intention? By turning it to pursuing something else. And if we become part of this kingdom, we must realize that we have responsibilities within this kingdom. Same as we have responsibilities as citizens of South Africa, we have responsibilities as citizens of heaven. And our responsibility is to set the right priorities in our lives. Priorities and responsibilities go hand in hand. Wouldn't you agree with me? And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Who can tell me what are our kingdom responsibilities? There's only three. <laughs> Good, I think. Matthew, uh, Mark 12, 30-31 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's number one. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. In other words, it's the same. It's like it. It works the same way. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor? Let's move along. Again, what is love? Love is the essence of kingdom influence. It's the essence of God. It's the power of God. It is the expression of the king. And we, we've looked over the past three, two weeks at, at these two. Number one, our responsibility, first of all, is to love and to worship and to serve and to obey God. With all the heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. With everything we are. In other words, we are sold out. We don't allow room in our hearts for anyone or anything else to take that place of number one. And Jesus told us how to do that. In Luke 9.23, He said, If anyone desires to come after Me, and in other words, if anyone desires to seek the kingdom of God, this is what he's going to have to do. Number one, deny himself. Number two, take up his cross daily. And number three, follow. And that speaks about loving God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the mind, with all the strength. It begins with us first denying ourselves. That's called repentance, by the way. Repentance is the changing or changing direction to go after something else. Where I was going my way and wanting to do my thing, even in a thought or a motive, 
I deliberately leave it there and I turn and go in an opposite direction towards something else. It's not just giving up, but it's following. You see? Putting that to death so that I can follow Christ into what He wants for me. How many of you know what God wants for you is better than what you want for you? Because God is a good God and He has incredible plans for your life. He has wonderful things in store for you. But if you insist on holding on to what you want, you will never realize the greatness of what God wants for you. So that's where it begins. The second point we looked at, that's our responsibility to God, to put Him first. His will above all else. Not His will in the list of other things we could do. His will is the list of all our options. Second of all, we spoke about our responsibility to ourselves. What does that mean? My responsibility to myself is that through relationship and intimacy with God, as He reveals Himself to me and reveals myself to me, I get to deal with my stuff. We spoke about the work of consecration and sanctification, being set apart from this world unto God, and through relationship and intimacy and time, we begin to take on the very likeness of Christ Jesus. We begin to look like Him, to think like Him, to speak like Him. You hang around with people for long enough, you look like them, you speak like them. Amen? And it's the same. This part, obviously, again, is a product of number one. As we yield to the Lord, He works with us to, to recreate and to, 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 to develop and to form His likeness and His motives and His intentions within our hearts so that we can be effective representatives of Him, His love, and His kingdom as we see, in turn seek to love others, to love our neighbors. Very simple, isn't it? Very simple, folks. Just love God and, loving God and being with Him. We often make Christianity really complicated. That's why these are our three responsibilities. Just to love God and be loved by Him. Allow Him to change us, be obedient when He speaks to us about dealing with stuff in our hearts. And then acting out of the abundance of what he's doing inside of us. So if God is speaking to me about forgiving Amy for standing on my toe last week and I'm still so offended because I know she knew it was there and she stood on it deliberately. Excuse me. My forgiveness to Amy may mean I need to go and make restitution. Whatever. Silly example. But you understand the point. Through what God does inside, I begin to change and I obey and I begin to work that out on the outside. And this is where responsibility number three comes in. And this is what I want to talk to you today about. Our responsibility to our neighbor. Now, who is your neighbor? Turn to the person next to you and say, Howdy, neighbor! <laughs> uh, you bunch of South Africans, you've got to get a bit more southern swang. Get a bit of a twang in there. Your neighbor is everybody from your wife to your children to your physical neighbor to your... The person sitting next to you in the pew, the person working next to you at the office, it's everybody else out there. Alright? It's everybody who's not you. There's a remarkable thing about this world is that except, apart from one exception, the world is made up of others. I'll say that again so that you can get it. Strange thing about this world is that apart from one remarkable exception, this world is made up of others. And yet we spend so much time focusing on that one. 
Whereas the whole world is made up of others. Amen? So what does it mean? It means my family. It means the body of Christ, the church that I belong to. It means society. It means the world in general. And all other responsibilities that we read, every commandment, every expression of, 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 of the love and the nature and the life of Christ falls under these three responsibilities. And if we will take care of these three responsibilities in our hard attitudes, I, the, the, the rest will take care of themselves. Jesus said so himself. If you take care of your love walk with God, you stay intimately connected, you pursue Him, you love Him, you seek and, and actively endeavor to, 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 to obey Him, to worship Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you allow that to, to change your life and heart, and in turn pass on and share that love to others, Jesus said all of the other commandments, every other expectation, every other responsibility that may be contained in the Word or in the law, or even in the heart of God, is bound up in those three. If you can take care of those three simple things, the rest will take care of themselves. So why the long lists? Why all the tasks and the things that need to be done? Because those are an expression of the first three. They're not bad, they're not evil, they're necessary to give us structure, to give us ways, to give us you know, methods and means, but if we focus on those first three, the rest will be a natural outworking and a natural outflow. Our responsibilities, I said this to you last week, ought to determine our priorities. Now you may think, Michael, you may have that one backwards. Surely our priorities determine our responsibilities. And as we come to looking at our responsibility to others, I want to share with you this morning and give you a bit of teaching as to why I believe it's our responsibilities that should determine our priorities. Let me define responsibility for you. It is this. It is the state or fact of being responsible or answerable or accountable for something within one's power, control, or management. It is a state or fact of having a duty to deal with something or having control over something. It's also the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. So responsibility means that there is, a, with responsibility comes accountability, but also influence. Amen? Let me give you a good example. I remember when I was still fairly new in the working world, and uh, I phoned my boss one day, and I, we'd, we'd basically started a branch for this, this transport company in Cape Town, and, and I was running the branch uh, and looking after the clients and that sort of thing. And I phoned him one day, and I said, listen, I just want to let you know, I want to go down to the mall. It was near Christmas time, and I needed to do some shopping. And I said, is it okay? I just need to go do this and this and that. And he said, why are you phoning me? I said, well, because it may be two, maybe even three hours that I'm out of the office. He said, Michael, listen to me. Are the clients okay? Is everybody happy? He says, yes. Is the, are the trucks all organized? I said, yes. Is, the, is everyone happy? Is everything taken care of that you are responsible for? I said, yes. He said, then stop phoning me about this rubbish. You have responsibility. Take care of it however you want to. But the clients are unhappy. I'm coming down on you. And if something's not done, it's your problem. But you have responsibility. So do it however you want to. Now that freedom, I do believe, came out of a good relationship I had with him. But it released me to take responsibility for everything that was under my control. Instead of just being an employee, I got to make the decisions, determine the course, and all that kind of stuff. But yet, And so I was responsible for both the success and the failure of the branch. Does that make sense? And likewise, you and I are responsible for the success of our lives or the failure thereof. 
Not Jesus. Not the devil. You and me. No one can take responsibility for my life and my decisions but me. Now I can yield my decisions to the Lord that His will may be done in me and through me He may be glorified. But in the same way, I can yield my decisions to the evil one through the lust of my flesh or through making poor decisions and He gets to have His influence, which is obviously negative, to steal, to kill, to destroy that which God desires to create and build up. But it speaks of responsibility. Now how does this relate to what we're talking about in terms of kingdom responsibilities? This is where I believe some of us really struggle and we sometimes get it wrong. Let's list, if we could, some kingdom responsibilities that we may have. Open up, fire some at me. What responsibilities do we have as believers? Come on, church. We're having a lesson here this morning, not just a preaching. Let's have some teaching. Prayer. All right, hold on. All right, one at a time now. All right, we've got prayer. We've got making disciples. What else we got there? Sorry, Peter? Oh, to write bigger. Can you not read? Okay, hold on. I'll start again. Hold on. Thanks for that, Peter. Oh. Prayer. Discipleship. What else? What else is my responsibility as a believer? Come on. As a man. As a woman. Not me, but... Well, that's good. Go to church. Okay? I like that. Sorry? To listen? Well, we'll, we'll throw that in with prayer, okay? What about my wife? Do I not have a responsibility to my wife? Very good. Hey? To love my wife. Love spouse, I'll put here. S-E-C-E. Thank you. That's why I preach and don't write, you see. I don't have Microsoft Word yet. If I was typing this, we'd be sorted. What else? Come on. What other responsibilities do I have? To provide. Sorry, Peter? <laughs> We're not going down that road today, Peter. <laughs> All right, let's let's. <laughs> Jesus said so. By the way. <laughs> All right. Uh, love spouse. Okay. What about love God? We've just touched on that, right? All right. We can put in tithe. What about my family or my kids? Can I put that in the list? Yeah, we got that there. Family. Yeah, look, that all falls under family and kids and all the rest. So now, all right, we've got some there. We've got prayer. We've got discipleship. Church, in other words, being involved in the local body. We've got love my spouse. Do you hear that? You must all love my spouse. <laughs> provide, to provide for my family. To love God, that's a kingdom responsibility. To pay tithes. I also have a responsibility towards my family, my children, to teach them, to raise them in the church, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, these are responsibilities. 
Let's prioritize, shall we? Which is the most important? Okay, I love God. So we've got number one. What's next? Sorry? My spouse. What's next? Let me just throw another one in here, by the way, just, just for fun. Career. Double R there? No. Yeah, no, I got that much. All right, so we've got love God. Number two, love spouse. What's next? Sorry? Oh, wow, this is getting kind of, kind of hairy here. Family, prayer, discipleship. It's just because you said discipleship that you want it to be so important. Stop it now, man. I'm going to go with number three here. Family, because, you know, I think that's good. Then? Well, we've got provide. Okay, so we've got number four. Wow, this is getting hairy. Okay. And then? Prayer. Okay, so we've got number five. Church. Okay, number six. That means church programs, meetings, all of that. What else? Yeah, you see, you're all looking like, no, but then, okay, what else? Okay, tie, okay, is tithing above discipleship in your life, Robin? We need to have a talk, brother. Okay, so I'm going to go from number six, I'm going to make number seven, discipleship, and make tithe number eight, but hang on a second, that's like first fruit, that's like right off the top, surely that should be, oh wait, hang on, we have this thing called career, that's apparently not important to any of you. Huh? Yeah, which means you can't tie. So actually, career should come before tie, don't you think? <laughs> now, what you have just, what we've just done, is literally experience what we all go through from time to time, because we are taught God is the most important thing, and rightly so. And if we're going to list the priorities, what would come next? Your marriage. Your covenant relationship with your, with your spouse. And then obviously, next on the list would be your children. And next on the list, we're gonna, we, we, we'll, we'll debate all day on the expression of how it works out from there. Okay? But this is the difficulty of, of, dis, of, of, of allowing priorities to determine our responsibilities. Let me give you some examples here. We've listed some things here. We've placed them in order of priority. Let me ask you this question. Does the order of priority change the level of responsibility? Or the responsibility, if, if, if I'm a man, and this is my list, hopefully that first one is not too far from your imagination. I'm a man, let's imagine this is my list. And this is my priorities in order. Does the changing of order of priorities change the responsibility that I have in any of these areas? No, it doesn't. So which one is really more important? And again, I can see the smoke billowing out of the ears and I can see the cogs turning. Which one is really more important? They're all important. They are all important because I have a responsibility in each of those areas. Like I said, if I prioritize this and I put God on top and rightly so and my wife, and I get my list of priorities and I govern my life by that, what it ultimately means is 
I will choose one responsibility over another and forfeit a responsibility over another responsibility and not be responsible in an area I'm called to be responsible for. Let me rephrase that. A change in our prior responsibilities will bring a change in our priorities. But a change within our priorities will not detract from the responsibilities that we have in whichever given area we've just spoken about. When our priorities determine our responsibilities, we're likely to neglect certain responsibilities. By choosing one responsibility over another, we end up neglecting something. How many times have I seen, have I seen people or heard people say, you know, no, I've, got, I've got to put family first before ministry. Or I've got to put family or my wife and children first before that. Now, if I prioritize that like, that way, that statement is valid. Yes, your family and your marriage are more important than ministry. But that does not mean your ministry and the calling and the responsibility that God has given to you in your sphere of influence is not important. And there are times when you are going to have to sacrifice ministry for your family, but there are also times when you're going to have to sacrifice family for ministry. Whatever that ministry may look like. Even ministry in the workplace. Amen? You spend how many hours a day at work? Too many is the answer. Why? Is your family not more important? Is spending time with your kids not more important than spending time at the office? Who lay on their deathbed and said, Oh, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. The answer? Nobody. But hear me here. However, when our responsibilities, when we, when we allow our responsibilities to determine our priorities, we can make decisions with foresight and genuine consideration within an ever-changing and adapting framework. Life changes and circumstances change. Would you agree with me? Let me give you an example of that. Phil and Malay, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to use them as an example. Phil and Malay are engaged to be married. That means that in their lives there is taking place right now at this stage a shifting and a change both in priorities and responsibilities. Would you agree with me? And rightly so, by the way. In time, once they say, I do, after God, Phil's primary responsibility will now be his wife. To love his wife and lay down his life for his wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. Amen? Amen. Likewise, Marley's life will change and she will have to focus her and she will have responsibilities towards her husband. Bring him his slippers and his pipe at night. Make sure there's a cook. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. To be devoted to him. To submit to him. Amen? And so that focus and that attention and the priorities in their lives shift from whatever it may be, job or career and all these things, to one another. But now let's, let's, let's take it a little bit further. Let's imagine Phil has a dog and Marley has a cat. Now as they're single. Bit of companionship before the other came along, you understand. Does their change of priorities to one another take away from their responsibility to care for their pets? No, of course not. They are still have a responsibility towards little doggy, little woofy and mittens 
to make sure that they get fed and cared and loved and all that kind of stuff that as before, even though their priorities has changed. So this is my point. Just because our priorities change does not mean our responsibilities change. We spoke last week about what is maturity. Maturity is being able to handle responsibility responsibly. It's the ability to say, all right, these are all of my responsibilities. Now, if I prioritize them, I'm, going to, I'm liable to put one above the other in terms of my importance. What I need to do is I need to make sure and I need to manage and govern my life in such a way that I have taken care of all of my responsibilities. That I make sure, excuse me, that I spend time with God daily. That I make sure that in all my dealings with my wife, I do so in loving, nurturing, cherishing, caring way. That I can be an example to my children and my daughters of what a man should treat a woman like. That I will love my daughters and raise them right. That as I go to my career or vocation or calling, whatever you want it to be, and I earn an income, that I honor God from that and that I provide from my family through it. That I'm spending regular time in prayer for my wife, for my kids, for the people in my life. that I focus on discipleship in my own life, as well as replicate who God has made me to be in others and those He's placed under me. This is an, an all-encompassing thing, so that, so that when we talk about my responsibilities, it's not about placing one above the other. It's about acknowledging that within me, God expects certain things. Not over the other, but that they're all relevant. I'm just showing you very, very briefly, just through that little thing of how, how we do it, it becomes, these things become an expression of the primary three. If I love God and seek Him, and if I deal with my stuff and my heart, and focus on loving others the way God loves me, these are some of the practical ways they take care of themselves. Let's list some practical kingdom responsibilities, shall we? Number one, regular time for briefing and debriefing with the king. The morning meeting. How many of you in your offices have a morning meeting? We debrief from the day before and we set the vision for the day ahead. Theo is a gift. He has morning meetings that last to the evening. If you ever try and get hold of Theo during that, so he's in a meeting. No, I know that. <laughs> Just kidding, Theo. He's a man of meetings. Briefing and debriefing. The Word tells us, Psalm 119, 105, Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So I come today for briefing. God, brief me. What is the, what, what's in store for today? What else? Study the Word to show yourself approved. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Kingdom responsibility. Let's look at another one, to love one another. We've touched on this, John 15.12 this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Gather to worship and fellowship with other believers. Be involved in the body. Ephesians 5.25. Oh, sorry. Uh, Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Don't make your family more important than, than church on a Sunday. Now, like I said, we live in a world of ever-changing circumstances and things. 
I preach this to you boldly, even though three weeks ago, I was, four weeks ago, I wasn't in church on the Sunday. Because given the circumstances on that particular Sunday, having just had a baby, my wife needed me by her side. So is this law to me? I have to be in church on Sunday? No, it's where I want to be. But obviously, sometimes the priorities shift. Does it change my responsibility to you? No, I still have a responsibility to make sure everything's taken care of. Let's keep going. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, 5.22 in Ephesians, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's your responsibility, men. That's your responsibility, woman. And that extrapolates in many different ways. We also talked about making disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 18-20 says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We remember we spoke about Jesus came to give that back. Therefore, go, he said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. There's many, many more. Wouldn't you agree? There's many more responsibilities that you and I have as kingdom people, as citizens of the kingdom. But what I want to touch on this morning is what do we do when we recognize that we're falling short in an area? What do I do when I see in myself an attitude towards my wife of resentment or frustration? In other words, I'm not fulfilling my responsibility with the heart and spirit of love I'm supposed to be. What do I do when I see Scripture telling me to do a certain thing, to think in a certain way, and I think differently? Scripture says, see the best in everyone. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And yet I'm under some persecution, and I'm finding that really hard to deal with because right now the last thing I feel like doing to that person is blessing them and I'm scared to pray for them because I don't want the hellfire to burn down upon them. It's the grace of God that I'm not praying for them. What do I do when I hear what the word says about sharing my faith? When I hear what the word says about if you deny me before man I'll deny you before my father but if you acknowledge me and if you Honor me before man, I will honor you before man. What do I do with that? When I realize that I'm not at that point, where I realize that I'm not taking care of my responsibility. This is important, folks, because if we take into context the year, one of the primary scriptures Pastor Andreas read to us was the season of realization is you will realize blessing, growth, increase, breakthrough in the areas that we have been faithful the, the, the parable of the talents was the example. And that there were those who were given responsibility, they were faithful with their responsibility, and therefore they received blessing, they received reward, they entered into the joy of their Lord, and were given more and greater responsibility. But to the one who was unfaithful with that which was given, even that was taken away and he was cast out. So we see, what we do with, our, with what God has made us responsible for is very important. So what do we do when we realize there's an area where we know we're lacking, where we know we're weak? Well, the first thing we do is we go back to the big three. Let's use my wife as an example. If I'm frustrated with my wife or resentful towards her, 
or angry for whatever reason, whether justified or not, and I recognize that in my heart. I, if I go back to the big three, I need to realize that if I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, that this is one of those nevertheless moments that regardless of how I feel, nevertheless, Lord God, I lay down my will, my right to be angry, my right to resent, my right to be frustrated. I lay it down, I take up that cross, and I follow your example of love, Jesus. Where even when you were being nailed to the cross for something you had not done, you said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You just let it go. I go back to the big three. And that enables me to sort out my stuff so that again I can just openly without wanting explanation or apology from my wife and without building a wall of resentment between me and her just love her. That works itself out in many different situations as we go through life, as we deal with people, as we, ha as we work. There's many different examples to this. You know, once again, let's use this example of, of evangelism. Something, church, we need to be looking at and working at and recognizing in our fellowship as a point of weakness. What do I do about that in my life? Well, I go back to the big three. And I say, God, if I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then it doesn't matter how, about, how, doesn't matter how I feel about this, how insecure I am. Your word commands it. So I lay down, nevertheless, I lay down my will and I obediently follow and I go and speak to that person you've laid on my heart. And I go and deliberately share your gospel with that person who I know doesn't know you. They can't know you. Look at how they live. And chances are when you confront them on that, you'll see this plank of wood in your own eye and realize that you're probably not saved either. No, I'm kidding. You've got some work to do. We go back to the big three. Colossians 3, 17 and 23 to 24 says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all, do everything, anything and everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Verse 23, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You can't hate your brother as to the Lord. You can't beat your dog as to the Lord. You can't walk in unforgiveness as to the Lord. Anything done as to the Lord is as to His will and as to His ways and motivated by and governed by love. Amen? knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Folks, as we round out this series of sowing the kingdom and understanding that the kingdom is sown into our hearts so that we in turn can be changed and sown into the world, I remind you that the kingdom of God is not about you. And it's not about me. It's about the King. And He has a vision and He has a mission and we have a vision, even as our local church, to, to co-labor with God through the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry that we as saints may extend and establish, establish the influence of the kingdom of God in our city and beyond. So that wherever we go, we're an influence for the king. Wherever we go, people see Jesus. Wherever we go, they taste love. And they see love because love looks like something. You have a role to play in the kingdom. We all do. We have a mission. That's why God has gifted you and wired you as uniquely as He has. Because nobody can do what you can do the way you can do it by the grace of God. There are some lives I will never be able to touch in a meaningful way. But you can. 
because of how you're wired and because of your story and because of your journey with God and what, you've able, what you have overcome and because of the way Christ has been formed in you and the things you've had to overcome and deal with, you now become a conduit to other people who need to deal with the very same thing. Amen? You get it. You understand. And so from that point, you, you can minister. We have responsibilities that extend beyond ourselves, folks. They extend beyond just me and my wife and my children. Even my job, my church. Because the Bible doesn't say Jesus came to give us meetings and those more abundantly. Jesus said He came that we may have life, vitality, that the very life and nature of God is so real. Let me read that to you again. The, 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 the nature of the love of God as, as kingdom citizens. It is love that is so alive that you can't contain it. It just comes out of you. You can't hold it in. It's so powerful. It is so deliberate that it can't be mistaken. It is so passionate that it overcomes every obstacle to express itself. And it is so extravagant that it reveals the very glory of God. That is what lives within you, believer. That is who God is making you to be. More and more like Him. Because that is who God is. Let me ask you this. What is our kingdom response to the atrocities that we see happening in the world today? We see a Kenya. We see in the Middle East with ISIS, with an Islamic State. And these atrocities that are taking place. People being beheaded and killed simply for naming Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As citizens of the kingdom of God, is it okay for us to just pray, God bless me and my family? When this is going on and God has sent us to be the change. Now that may seem pretty big and way out there. But let's bring it home a little bit. What about... Listen to me. John 10.10 says this. The devil does not come but to steal, kill and to destroy. What about that life in your workplace that you see, you can see firsthand the devil has stolen from, has, 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 has had a go at destroying, is trying to kill the life in that person, the love in that person. You see the hell that they are going through. Is our kingdom response enough just to make sure we get our paycheck and go home at the end of the month? Do we not have a responsibility as representatives of the love and the kingdom of God in that situation? What about the person we see being abused? Do we not have a responsibility? Two Corinthians five twenty to twenty one says this now then we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm an ambassador to my wife. I'm an ambassador to my children. I'm an ambassador to the church. I'm an ambassador to, to everywhere, to my workplace. I come representing not my own will or desire. I come representing that of my King. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. 
Why is it that friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God? James 4 verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Simply for this reason. When we make friends with the world, we are working against God's very plans to change that world, to confront the sinfulness in that world, to cast out the darkness that is in the world. And so we literally are working against the kingdom of God in our own hearts, where we make friendship with the world in such a way that it affects our lives individually. Because when you make friendship with the world, that stuff creeps in. That stuff creeps in. Let me give you an example. There was a little boy who was watching an an, an age-restricted movie and his dad said to him, I don't want you to watch that. And he said, Dad, it doesn't affect me. It's just a little bit of violence and a little bit of swearing. So his dad went into into the kitchen and made his son some chocolate brownies and placed the brownies before his son and said, enjoy those brownies. And his son eyes went this big, so excited, picked up a brownie, and just as he's about to, you know, bite into the brownie, his dad said, by the way, I went outside and got some dog poo, and I mixed some poo into those brownies. It's just a little bit. It's not going to affect you. Friendship with the world is the same. It leavens the whole lump. It has an effect on the whole thing. Do you think that boy touched those brownies? Ate those brownies? No, he threw them away and probably went to go wash his hands and went, Dad, that's disgusting! Seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. It all comes back to these basics, folks. Where we realize that we're not taking care of what God has given us responsibility for. The worst thing we can do is just go and try and in our own works, do. The worst thing we can do is try and create a program that will get people to do. So I'm not, I'm sharing my heart with you here, knowing that as a church and seeing us in the life of the church over, the, over years now, you know, in, in, if, I, if we look at the fivefold ministry, folks, pastoral gift, praise God, we've got po- people in our fellowship with pastoral gifting. They've got a real pastoral heart to shepherd the sheep. Apostolically and prophetically, we're aligned and we have a strong prophetic gifting through Pastor Andreas primarily as our leader. Amen? Teaching. We have teaching coming out of our years in this church. We have Bible school two nights a week. We have teaching on a Sunday, other programs and and ad hoc courses that take place, discipleship courses, all kinds of things that happen. But when it comes to evangelism, although there are a few that have the heart to evangelize, by and large, we lack in this area. And that is not me pointing the finger at you. That is saying we as a fellowship lack in this area. And so I have to acknowledge that me, that I, too, lack in this area of a heart that just longs to passionately share the love of God. And if I'm guilty of something, and if I notice that, I need to go back to the big three and say, God, I realize that in this area of my life, I'm not loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, because my heart is not yet conformed to what your word says my heart should be in this. And so I pray, God, bring a change in me. Bring a change in me. Bring that person across my path. And give me, the, give me the discernment to recognize and the boldness to open my mouth and share your love with them, whether it be practically, whether it be verbally, whatever way. Remember, this is our year of realization. And you only realize the value of that which you give away. 
I ask you, church, this morning, has Jesus not done something so radical in our lives that we should not be shouting it from the mountaintops? Has He not? Has He not delivered us from the power of darkness and set us free from the power of sin? That we can live above and as overcomers over all of these things. Isn't that something worth shouting from the very rooftops? So why the deafening silence? What's the problem? Perhaps it's just been too long since we've shared that we've forgotten the wonder of what we've received. We stay in our holy little cliques with people who've been on the same kind of journey we have and we can relate to that and we relate to one another and we praise God. And that is good, by the way. I'm not knocking that. But maybe we've lost sight of a world who does not have what we have in Jesus and are crying out for Him. Are desperate. There is something fundamentally wrong with a group of believers that are not actively involved in sharing the greatness and the goodness of what God has done. So folks, Jesus Christ has sown His kingdom into our hearts. He abides within us. And His purpose is so that He can make us more and more like Him. So that He can sow you and I out into the world as His sons and daughters. A mature son is, is in the image of His Father. So that we can go and represent Him out there in the world and be seeds for the kingdom of God. Very simple, isn't it? Very beautiful, isn't it? This is our joy, this is our privilege, and this is our responsibility. Amen? Is it more important than anything else? It's as important as we've shown. Shall we stand? Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for the privilege that we have of being citizens of your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And thank you, Lord, that your kingdom abides and lives within us. And thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us to be your representatives and to sow your kingdom into this world, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that we can be conduits of the love and the nature and the very power of God to this dying and hurting world. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you for your name, Lord Jesus, and your blood. And thank you for your spirit that abides within us. And Lord, we pray as we go today that you would make us ever more attentive to that voice within. Ever more attentive, Lord, to the kingdom of God that resides within. That we may have a new and a fresh revelation and understanding of what it means to love you, Lord God, with all the heart, with all the soul, with all our minds and with all our strength. That we may gain a fresh insight into what it means to love our love our neighbors, to love our families, to love our friends and our enemies and our colleagues and all of them, Lord God, the very way you loved us. What a privilege, Lord. What an honor. So I thank you, Lord, for opportunities as they present themselves, that you would enable us to recognize them 
and to shine our lights for you. That we may be salt and light to this world, Father God. In Jesus' name. We bless you and we thank you for for this time together this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomega.org.za.